sitting at Jesus' feet. I love that, that account in the Word. Uh, my name is Paul Buckley, and I'm one of the pastors here, the lead pastor, and I'm glad you're with us. I'd love to meet you if I haven't been able to meet you yet. I pray God's blessing on you as you're here with us as we worship. An important part of our worship time is hearing the Word of God, uh, and I hope we are never tired of wondering at the uh, amazing truth that God, the creator of the universe, the infinitely glorious one, has given us his very words, uh, and he wants to speak to us. He wants us to hear him and experience who he is through his word, what we call the Bible. And so we as a church take time every Sunday to be in his word, and we normally go through books of the Bible. Uh, that's probably the best way to hear from God is to go through all of his word. Uh, and we normally do that sequentially, but we also at times will do it topically because sometimes that's the best way to grow in our understanding of the things of God. So we are starting a series, a topical series, a short one. Usually they're shorter than our book series uh, on the church. And we're going to talk about the church and look at what the word of God teaches us about the church. What is it? What does it do? And so forth. So we'll take seven messages between now and, and the Advent season to, to look at this important, very important topic. I think, uh, I think we all need frequent tune-ups in regards to our understanding of the church because we live in a culture that runs contrary in many ways to key concepts, key truths about the church. And, and there are all sorts of ideas that are out there. Is the church a worship center? Is it an outreach center? Is it a care center? Is it a, is it a family support center? Um, is it a social justice center? There's all sorts of ideas about the church, and, and all those particular questions are the ones that are often in our minds, and, and they all have their place. But I think often there are other values that will determine what we think about the church, Maybe not explicitly, maybe we're not aware of it, but there are certain values that run counter. And so a series like this is really important for us. And as Westerners, as Americans, one of the chief contrary values is the value of consumerism. Listen to what Pastor Mike Breen says. He says, we live in a culture that revolves around consuming. Every TV commercial, every store, every credit card company, every bank, every TV show or movie, every piece of clothing, car or product, every website, every restaurant, every everything is tailored to fit your desires, needs, or personal preferences. We are easily infuriated with thing, when things don't happen exactly as we want them. We exist in a place that implicitly says this, we are here to serve you and meet your every whim and desire. Let us take care of you. What's more, it's never enough. We live in a culture that revolves around consuming. Eventually the house or the car get older and we want new ones. The clothes aren't as fashionable and we want something more in style. That restaurant is getting boring, we must find another. Our favorite TV show is wearing thin, so the search begins for the next favorite. And on and on and on. Most of our churches are built around feeding consumers. I'd argue 90% of the church's time, energy, and resources are linked to this. But the issue is this. this means you, you, the means you use to attract people to you are usually the means you use to keep them. In other words, if you use consumerism to attract them to your church, it often means that you must continue using it to keep them or else they will find another church 
which will meet their needs. And yet that consumer mentality is uh, antithetical to the gospel and to the call of discipleship. Disciples aren't consumers, they are producers. Jesus cared about disciples more than anything else. This value of consumerism infects all of us. And I think because of this and many other reasons, we need a tune-up. We need to understand what the church really is about and what we as individuals are called to in light of this. And so we are taking time in this series to address the church. And it's not to make you feel bad, though you might feel bad in the process. I will feel bad as I spend time working on these because whenever we encounter God's word and his truth, it adjusts us. But the point isn't feeling bad, but getting better by grace. Understanding the truth and encountering God and actually hearing God's voice, not your lead pastor's voice and certainly not the world's voice, but God's voice. So let's pray. And then we're going to dig in today to this important idea, this important question of what is the nature of the church? What is church? Church is what? But let's pray first. Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us to be led here and there by every wind, by every idea, by every cultural value, by our own flesh or the devil, that you come in in wonderful grace to rescue us by your word in the power of the Spirit. And so we ask for just that right now. I pray you'd help me, Lord. My job is to teach and proclaim your word and to thus equip your people and thus evangelize those who don't yet know you. And so I ask for help. We're doing something here that's way beyond any of us, and even all of us. And so we seek your presence and power. That we would encounter you today. You would be glorified. Your church would be built up. The, the lost will be rescued. We pray, our great God, and we thank you. We get to be a part of this. In Christ's name, amen. amen. I'm going to look at four aspects of the nature of the church today. I'm not saying there are only four, but four key ones. And I'm going to contrast them with kind of contrary ideas. And so we'll march through these four different aspects. The first one is the church is a body, not a bunch of Christians. It's a body, not a bunch of Christians. Uh, we see this throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, Just as the body is, uh, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And then in verse 27, you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And there's other references there. This is not just in this verse, but, but throughout, really, all of Scripture. The church is a body, not a bunch of Christians. It's, a, it's the body of Christ made up various members, who are diverse in gifting and function, yet interdependent and unified in Christ, vitally connected, sharing the same love and the same heart, the same faith, the same spirit, the same gospel, the same heavenly Father. They are connected together. It's a corporate relationship that's described as a body. It's described that metaphorically, but also actually. We'll get into this. That's important to understand. It's a metaphor, it's a word picture of the reality, but it actually is the, the reality itself when it speaks of us being a body. We're not just a mere conglomeration 
of spiritual people together. We're not a mere conglomeration of Christian individuals who have professed Christ, uh, faith in Christ and want to follow him. We're not a group of similar interests. We're not a Bible club. We're not merely friends. We're more. We are a body. The whole church is the body of Christ, but local churches are local bodies of Christ. And it's really important as we get into this and go into this whole series that you not mistake the whole universal church for the local church. Indeed, the, the universal church is an important topic, and it relates to a lot of what we're talking about. But the universal church can become a concept, an abstract concept for us, and we miss the importance of the local church. The Lord doesn't see the universal church as abstracted from the local church. In other words, this church, King of Grace Church, alongside every local church throughout the globe, has these qualities, is a body locally. And where these truths are encountered in Scripture, the God is addressing local bodies. And so this church is a body of Christ, is the body of Christ. We are not just a gathering of people with similar interests. We're not just a convenient conglomeration. We are a body called to be interconnected, vitally connected to each other, caring for one another, cooperating with each other, on mission together, experiencing the life of Christ as a body and we must, to some degree, lose our self-identity in the identity of the whole. Let me say that again. We must, to some degree, lose our self-identity in the identity of the whole. This is hard for us as Westerners. We put the self first. The self is important. And maybe if we were in another context, in an Asian context, I might have to stress the self more. But I don't think any of us have a struggle with putting the self in its appropriate place. Our struggle is exalting the self over the whole. And particularly in light of the local church, the whole is more important than the self in God's eyes. Not to neglect the self. Don't hear what I'm not saying, but hear what God is saying. That the body is really important. And the we are, as the church, a body, not a bunch of individual Christians that, that happen to agree on certain things, and thus we can do some things together. No, we're a body, a living organism called to live together, called to live with an awareness of our corporate nature. I have a friend who's a jazz drummer. Uh, if you know music and, and you know jazz, uh, within music, many would say that, that a jazz drummer is the best sort of drummer. It's a very challenging sort of drumming. Um, I, I, I would never be able to be a jazz drummer. Um, and he told me of a much sought after experience in jazz as a drummer, not just for drumming, but for a jazz band. And he talked about that this, this experience that goes on in bands that kind of learn to play together, where they, as a band and, and the drummer as well, for his experience, Everything in that band is so on the right beat. And if you know jazz, it's all just slightly offbeat, slightly out of tune is what it feels like. But when a band works together where they're on the right beat and they, as they jam and they improvise, they can reach this experience. For him, uh, he described it, I think it's the term they use, it's called the burn. 
and you start playing jazz as a band and you learn to play together and you actually, he described the experience, you, you forget about yourself because you're in such sync with the whole band and you're doing your part indeed, but you're not aware of yourself in the same way. There's this, this corporate experience, this sense, this, the burn of where you're grooving with the music and jazz and producing something beautiful together. It sounds really cool. And I think it's a wonderful illustration of what a local church is called to. We are called to be so knit together, so working together in our diverse gifts, our different roles in concert in Christ together that we experience the burn. Forgetting about ourselves, aware of what God's doing through the corporate group. Let me ask you, do you find yourself forgetting about yourself? as you give yourself to this local church, or if you're part of another one, that local church. This is God's design. This is God's design for the body, not to be a solo instrumentalist, but a jazz drummer experiencing the burn. Now, there's other aspects of the body that are important to understand, not just the corporate nature of the body, but the nature of the body as being the very body of Christ. This is a very profound teaching in scripture that, that, that adds to our understanding and our practice. And it says in Ephesians 1, 22-23, uh, speaking of, of Christ, it says, and he put all things under his feet and he gave him as head over all things to the church. And then it says this, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It is his body. Uh, elsewhere in scripture, Acts chapter 9, verse 4 the, the soon-to-be Apostle Paul, Saul at the time, is persecuting the church. And Jesus says this to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul might say, I'm not persecuting you, I'm persecuting the church. Jesus says, same thing. 1 Corinthians 12, we already read. Speaking of the body with many members, so it is with Christ. And then, Now you are the body of Christ. So Paul is saying that the church, the local church, not just the universal church, but the local church in a profound way is actually Christ's body. Actually, his body. Now, physically, we know that's not the case. Spiritually, it is the case. It's the reality. We are so joined to Christ in him. Individually, yes, but not just individually. We're joined to him together we are together the very body of Christ spiritually. It's a profound thing, and it has a huge impact on how we think about the local church. This is why, actually, in 1 Corinthians 11, that Paul's saying that, that, the, that you guys are experiencing sickness and even death because when you come together, you're not considering the body. Now, he he's, has a double meaning in that because he's speaking of practice of the Lord's Supper, but he's also speaking of the reality of the body of the church. And the body's coming together and they're supposed to be celebrating communion together. And communion is indeed our individual experience with the Lord being refreshed in the fact that he gave his very body and blood for me. He shed his blood for my sins, but he shed his blood for our sins. He redeemed us to be together as his body. And so in Corinth, they're experiencing God's judgment because they're practicing communion with only the one way 
perspective. And they're actually sinning against others and how they do it. You can read more about the story, what's going on there. And they're experiencing judgment from God as a result. That is sobering. Because they are not considering discerning the body of Christ, both in communion and in the corporate church. Do you rightly discern this local church as the actual body of Christ, the body of Christ you're called to? You're called to discern. I don't know if you've ever had the experience. I've had it. Um, and I find it happening more as I get older because of circulation. Where you're, you're sleeping and you have your arms under the pillow and one of the arms falls asleep. And then you feel that arm, the, the one that's asleep with the one that's alive. And it's really weird, isn't it? Like, who's this man in, sleeping next to me with this arm? It, it, it's, there's no feeling. And you feel it yourself. You... you, you, you feel your own body, but you don't discern it. You don't, you, you know it's yours, but it doesn't feel like yours. Well, I think some of us at times can be in the church and be like that hand that's alive, not discerning the one that's asleep. We're touching the body, we're interacting with it, but we're not recognizing this is my body. This is Christ's body. This is our body. And that's what we're called to. We're called to discern the body. We're called to see one another as part of that body and as precious and as important alongside us. Yes, it's a different part. Yes, it has a different function. But it is nevertheless part of the very body of Christ. And so is there some member or some group within our church that you've lost touch with? and perhaps are unfeeling towards? How can you take steps to reawaken that relationship and reinfuse it with the love of Christ to engage the body as the very body of Christ? There's more we can talk about with that. We'll move on, though, for the sake of time. And if you want to learn more and study more, I can point you to other resources, certainly the Word of God, most importantly, on this important topic that we're a body, not a bunch of Christians. Secondly, we're a family, not a fine restaurant. We see this idea throughout Scripture. And again, it's a metaphor, but it's more than a metaphor because the church as a whole is the ultimate family. And, and so we see in Scripture, though, that this, the people of God compared to a family. Ephesians chapter 2 it says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Ephesians talks about the Father as the ultimate Father. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. So this, uh, this metaphor of the family and this re reality of the family is prevalent throughout Scripture. And I would submit to you that, that the counter idea is the idea of the church as a fine restaurant. The church is a family, not a fine restaurant. This metaphor of the family is really important to understand. A family is a group of people connected to each other through shared biological and relational bonds that are often the very deep, the deepest experienced in life. That is why, by the way, it can be so painful 
when people experience pain in their families because the relationships are meant to be so deep and therefore can hurt all the more. Thank God there is healing, and there is healing in the ultimate family, the family of God. The family of God experienced through the local church. We are a family. We are called to these deep bonds one to another. And I think we need to understand this because sometimes when we come into a church, we expect the experience to be different than a family. And when we encounter adversity in the church, sometimes we can treat it differently than we would our family. What I've found and observed is that when we experience pain in the local church family, sometimes we want to flee and run away. And the reason we do experience pain in the local church is because we're called to these deep bonds one to another. We're called to deep relationships. We are going to rub shoulders with each other in a way beyond anything you would experience in any other context except for your biological family. But in the biological family, we often intuitively understand, well, this is my family. I'm stuck with this family. I've got to make it work. I've got to pursue reconciliation. I've got to say I'm sorry. I've got to learn to love better. We do that intuitively often in, in families. And yet in the church sometimes when the pain happens, we think, well, I'm out of here. And yet the church is the ultimate family. And so that same thinking like you would apply, hopefully with your biological family, we must apply with our ultimate family expressed in the local church to pursue reconciliation, to pursue growing together in love, to not run away, but run towards by the grace of God. We are a family. We're not a fine restaurant. Often that's our attitude. What I mean is this. When you go to a fine restaurant, what's your mindset? What's your attitude? We are going there. You're paying a relatively high price, right? to hopefully experience a, an extraordinary meal. You expect the maitre d' to greet you warmly, to seat you promptly. You expect the setting to be impeccable and attractive, the waiters to be courteous and efficient, the food to be mouth-watering. You pay for a commodity and you expect them to uphold their reputation. If you went to a fine restaurant and the maitre d' was rude or inattentive, you'd be upset. If the tablecloth was soiled or the waiters argued with each other, or if the food was overcooked, you'd be very upset. You'd probably write a review with a half a star and never go back, right? Maybe not. But at least you'd think those things and feel those things. What's going on? But what if you were at home around the kitchen table? Could you deal with family members arriving a little bit late for dinner? Would you expect a little bit of arguing among the kids, maybe, or the siblings? Would the tablecloth have a stain or two? Could you enjoy a slightly overcooked dish? I think so. And yet the reality is you're paying way more money for that experience than for the fine restaurant, right? To the tune of 50,000 plus a year. Why? because you understand the difference between a family and a fine restaurant. As I've said, the church is the ultimate family. 
it's not a fine restaurant. Now don't get me wrong, we want our meals to be the very best we can provide. We want the place to be the cleanest it can be. We want to be the best at what we can be, but the goal isn't to be a fine restaurant, it's to be a, a family, a healthy family, a whole family. A family that's learning to walk through redemption and the grace of God together. It's going to be messy. The, the tablecloth will be dirty at times. The waiters will be rude at times. Even the maitre d' will fall short. But we're a family, not a fine restaurant. And so we walk together in the grace of the Lord. So let me invite you into that reality. Invite you in to start enjoying meals and life around the kitchen table as we walk together as God's ultimate family. Third point, we are a holy number, not a hazy network. A holy number, not a hazy network. Now this is a hard truth for the Western church to get. And what I mean in this is that we're, we're a defined, precise group of people called to membership. We are a precise membership, not a nebulous group. We are called to practice precise membership. We are a holy number, a defined number, not a hazy network. There are three reasons, at least, to practice this, a precise membership. And what I mean by that is we, as a church, along with many churches, have a defined membership. We have a membership role. We have people that are members. Uh, we practice adult membership. We have, we have child membership, which just acknowledges the children of adult members. But we have adult membership. We have a role. And we have an official understanding of what that members are called to. We're all members. I'm a member of this church as well. And biblically, we're called to certain things. So we define that number. We have a precise membership. And just let me say ahead of time, just so you know, if you're not a member, we're glad you're here. And we understand that there's a process that God uses in people's lives. There's journeys that people are on. There's healing at times that people need. And we want to provide a place for people to do that. So this isn't meant to pressure you in some uh, inappropriate way. But it is meant to pressure you in an appropriate way. Because when it's time to become a member, we believe God calls you to that, to practice precise membership with us. So let me give you three reasons that we do this. First, membership is necessary for membership. What do I mean by that? Well, we went through these scriptures, right? And we saw that the church is a body. And what are the particular components of a body? They are members of your body. That's the word. And so membership, precise membership, is necessary for membership in a body to be clear in who is part of this local body, we must know who those parts are. If you're going to function as a part of that body, we, we need to know to do it fully and faithfully. We need to know that you are part of this body. We need to know that there's a, a, a specific commitment. We need you to be joined to this body. And, and a church with disjointed members is not a pretty thing. When the body is missing a member, what do we call it? An injury. But when a body has all of its members in their proper place, it's a beautiful thing. 
Membership is necessary for membership. Secondly, membership is necessary for defining the church. The church, the local church, actually has the authority to define who is in and who is outside the church. This is really important. It's called to define who is inside and who is outside the church. The church is to be defined by faith in Jesus and faithfulness to Jesus. It's not full of perfect people. It won't be until Christ returns. That's not what I mean. But faith that basically says we believe in the core truths of, of Christianity, of the Bible. And faithless means we are learning to walk in these truths. We're not running away and persistently running the other way. We're not a contradiction in our lives. Looked over the long haul. Yes, there's moments that were contradictions. But, but the question is, are we leaning in? Are we walking towards? Are we getting help? to follow together, to be those of faith and faithfulness versus going the other way. The church must be defined by these things. And the church is called to act when those who are professing believers, members of that church, persist in being unfaithful or abandoning the faith. So let's look at a particular place in Scripture that talks about this and learn this lesson more deeply. The church in Corinth. They were a local church comprised of probably many house churches in the city of Corinth and beyond um, that area, but they were united together. They were dealing with lots of problems, and they had lots of people who were learning about Jesus and learning what it was to believe and to follow him and were making mistakes indeed. And there's lots of room for that as we do this together. We love each other. We help each other. We encourage each other. But when those mistakes become destructive and persistent, we must address them for the sake of the body, for the sake of that individual, for the sake of the glory of God. And in the Corinthian church, there was one man in particular who was refusing to get help and to turn away from his sin persistently. And so the situation is addressed in chapter 5. And Paul says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, in body I am present in spirit, and as if present I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. What, I, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Paul is exhorting them to not think it was good to tolerate this guy persisting in this gross sin. It was not loving was not loving of the Lord, loving of the local church, loving of this man and this woman to ignore it. And he said the very best thing you can do for 
this man, this church, and the glory of God is to clearly put him out of the church. And so he's going to be outside the protection and the strengthening that comes within a local church. And in that place, he'll be in a very dangerous place. That's turning him over to Satan, is what he's saying. Outside the local church, he now will be vulnerable. And Lord willing, through the discipline that will come through that, he will turn back. That's the idea. Now it looks like, as we read 2 Corinthians, that the man did turn. And Paul encouraged them strongly to, to welcome him back, to forgive him and welcome him in. But what this teaches us, among many things, is that the church is to be clearly defined who's in and who's out. If there's no definition of who's in and who's out ahead of time, then this is a meaningless exercise. So the church needs to have a precise membership. A clear demarcation of who is in and who's out. It's not speaking of those that are not yet believers, by the way. Paul says that. We expect to have people who come in, who we love, who are here, who maybe even join with us in our worship time, that are not yet believers. But there's a place for a believer to be joined to a local church, to be defined as within that church and protected and cared for and made fruitful. And so precise membership necessitates, is necessitated by that truth. Thirdly, membership is necessary for leadership to lead. For leadership to lead, membership is necessary. Church elders are given authority for a unique call beyond regular membership they must give an account for the souls of their people. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is the sobering reality of being an elder, that you will have to, an elder, I will have to, all the, our elders, all elders everywhere, will have to give an account on Judgment Day, ultimately, for their local flock. But if they don't know for sure who their flock is, how can they do that? Is it everybody who attends? Is it everybody who visits? Everybody who's there on a Sunday? That's a scary prospect for me. <laughs> the reality is, I, if I estimate correctly, we've had three to 4,000 people come through our doors in the 20 years that I've pastored. And I don't have contact with most of those. I have contact with about 150 of those who are here. And I don't believe I'm called to give an account for them. Now I'm called to love them. I'm called to act in a way as a Christian to love people, certainly. It's not that I ignore people if you're not a member. We're called as a church to be like that as well. But we have, I have, especially, and we all together to some degree, have a special role to play in our fellow members. We are responsible one for another. Elders are responsible for the sheep under their charge. And we need to define who is in the church and who isn't for this reason. So we practice precise membership. It's a good thing. It's a faithful application of these truths. It's a necessary application. The only reason it's not spelled out to the same degree in Scripture is because in their cultural context, 
that was, they all assumed that. They knew that. They would give letters, by the way, when you went from one church to the next. Culturally, they didn't think any other way, but because we're so individualistic, we have provided now this space that, that people who come and be with us aren't necessarily part of us. And there's nothing wrong, by the way. There's lots of good churches in the area. We're not saying you have to be part of this one. But we would say, I would say strongly, hear this as from the Lord, I trust, that you need to be a part of a local church if you're a believer. We get, by the way, as I said before, time for healing, time to get to know, all that. We don't motivate by guilt. We want to motivate by grace, but we don't want to obscure something that's really important. Pastor Mark Dever says this in a very strong way. He says, if you are not a member of the church you regularly attend, you may well be going to hell. He said it, not me. I don't mean for a second that you literally have to have your name on a membership card in a church somewhere to go to heaven. I believe in justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. At the same time, in the New Testament, it seems that the local church is there to verify or falsify our claims to be Christians. The man in 1 Corinthians 5, who was sleeping with his father's wife, thought of himself as a Christian. I don't care how much you cry during singing or preaching. If you, did not, if you do not live a life marked by love toward others, the Bible has no encouragement for you to think you're a Christian. None. Do you want to know that your new life is real? Commit yourself to a local group of saved sinners. Try to love them. Don't just do it for three weeks. Don't just do it for six months. Do it for years. And I think you'll find, and others will too, whether or not you love God. The truth will show itself. Joining a church won't save you. It's only the death of Christ that saves you. He alone is our righteousness. But if He really is our righteousness, if we really love Him whom we have not seen, it will show itself by us loving those that we do see. The church is a holy number, not a hazy network of friends. Last point very quickly. It's a temple, not a tourist attraction. 1 Corinthians again. Do you not know that you, plural, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you, plural? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you, plural, are that temple. The local church is a temple. It's a place of worship. God is a gracious, glorious God who wants to give of himself. He pours himself out in creation. He pours himself out in giving his very son for us takes on flesh, lives a righteous life that we failed to live, and then offers that righteous life to us should we turn away from ourselves and receive that and trust that life paid for our sins on the cross, satisfying God's righteous requirements. In that righteous life of Christ, God in the flesh, we receive forgiveness, we are counted righteous, we are brought into the family, we are safe. This is from the Lord who gives himself again and again. And he gives himself in the call and the power for us to be worshipers. Worshiping is about enjoying God and glorifying him. Those two go together, as the Westminster Divine said. They go together. We enjoy him. We see him. We're to be worshipers. And so a key purpose of the church is to be a worshiping body, family, 
number. So we're a temple. And in the temple, the, the, the picture is that every priest in the temple is coming in to contribute in some way. Every member is coming to worship. We are actually a building, a temple building. Each of us blocks in that temple. Each of us having an essential component to the worship of God. We're not a tourist attraction. The difference between a temple and a tourist attraction is a temple is, in the metaphor, is this building composed for worship. A tourist attraction is someplace you go to observe something. You look at it. Isn't that nice? Isn't that glorious? I love seeing this. Whatever that is, it's the ocean, the Grand Canyon. Nothing wrong with a tourist attraction, but the church is not a tourist attraction. We don't come merely to observe. We come to participate. We are all members of the temple. We are all rescued by Christ, dying for us, rising again for new life so that we would become worshipers. The Father is seeking worshipers. He's seeking building blocks for the temple. And if you are a believer, you are one of those building blocks and he has a place for you in the worship of God's people locally. We are committed to this. We understand this here. And I'm so grateful for us as a church so many of you who understand that and you come. I, I have a friend uh, who told me that every Sunday he would pray, Lord, give me something to give away today. So he came to worship not as a tourist attraction. Now he did observe the glory of God and the goodness of God, so I'm, I'm not saying don't do that. God wants to show his glory to us and there's nothing better to observe than experience. But he wants to use you as a member. So let me encourage you, every Sunday, be like my friend Bob. Lord, give me something to give away today. It might just be a handshake or a hug. It might be a prayer for someone else. It might be a prophetic word. It might be a scripture. Maybe you come up and share with Toby what the Lord spoke to you in your devotional time this morning. God would use those things. You have musical gifts. Be part of the music team. Every member employed in the worship of God. We are a temple not a tourist attraction. So we've looked at four things as I conclude. Four aspects of the church. We are a body, not a bunch of Christians. A family, not a fine restaurant. A holy number, not a hazy network. A temple, not a tourist attraction. These are key aspects of what it is to be the church, this local church. When I encourage you right now, actually, just to talk to the Lord. Maybe there's some aspect of this that you're aware of that you need a tune-up. I need a tune-up. I found it actually very encouraging to go through this and to, to have just a fresh appreciation. That might be what the Lord wants you to do, just to say, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in my local church. Thank you for these things that I get to be a part of. Maybe that's your response. Maybe it's I need to take a step to give my gifts. Maybe... It's, I need to become a member of this local church. We're going to start membership classes later October, five sessions Sunday morning. If you can't make the Sunday morning sessions, uh, I would be happy to have you read the material and meet with you personally to talk through it. Maybe that's your step. Let's just take a minute to be before the Lord in prayer and reflection, and Pastor Tully will come up to transition us to communion.